Arthur Machen once wrote that strange things are lost and forgotten in obscure corners of the newspaper. Welcome to Forgotten Darkness, a podcast that will aim to prove that that statement is true. This story was originally told in the 1681 book Sadducismus Triumphatus by Joseph Glanville, but the excerpt quoted here is an account in modernized language from Claude Lecoteau's Secret History of Poltergeist and Haunted Houses from 2012. Lecoteau is a French scholar whose works have almost all been translated into English. If you're at all interested in European folklore as it relates to spirits, ghosts, fairies, and the like, I highly recommend his stuff. I'll put a link to his Amazon author page in the show description. Anyway, here's the account. During John Mompasson's stay in Tedworth in the town of Luggerspall in Wiltshire, in March of the year 1661, he heard the beating of a drum in the street and asked the bailiff at whose home whom he happened to find himself what it signified. The other responded that over the past several days, an itinerant artist, William Drury, who he believed to be in possession of a fake passport, had been filling their ears with the sound of his drum. Mr. Mompasson had the man brought before himself and asked him who had given him the right to stroll the countryside with his drum. The vagrant thereupon showed him his passport, an authorization signed by William Cawley and Commander A.L.F. of Grettenham. Mompasson, who knew the handwriting of these two gentlemen quite well, was convinced that both the permit and the passport were counterfeit. He therefore had the drum seized and ordered the bailiff to bring the vagrant before the next justice of the peace for punishment. The fellow then confessed his imposture and implored only that he be returned his drum. Mompasson told him that if Commander Aleph gave him a good account, then it would be duly returned, but in the meantime, he would keep it. He left this man then in the constable's hands, but it appears that the latter was so scared by his threats that he let him go. About the middle of the following April, when Mr. Mompasson was preparing to travel to London, the bailiff of Luggerspall sent him this vagrant's drum, when he returned, his wife told him how during his absence she had been in great fear of thieves. He had barely spent three nights in his house before the same things that terrified his family started up again. A very loud knocking was heard at the door and on the outside of the house. He took his pistols, searched every corner, and opened the door on which the knocking was heard. The noise then began again in another door. After going back to bed, the noise was a thumping and a drumming on top of the house, which persisted a while before fading into the air. This noise became more frequent, usually occurring five nights in succession, then stopping for three. It occurred on the outside of the house, which was almost all wood-paneled, and it always began when the family went to bed. A month later, it began occurring a little later, but no more than a half an hour after bedtime, and continued five nights out of seven. 
It left at two hours in the room where the drum had been stored. This noise was heralded by a wailing in the air above the house and ended with a drum beat for the changing of the guard. This lasted two months, during which time Mr. Mompasson stayed in the room where the noise occurred in order to see what might be its cause. Mrs. Mompasson had taken to her bed during this time, and there was little noise made during the night while she was in travail, and nothing was heard for about three weeks. But the knocking then began again with greater strength than before, and tormented the children in particular. Indeed, their beds were struck with such force it seemed they would fall to pieces. No blows were felt when placing a hand upon them, but they could be felt shaking violently. For an hour at a time, well-known military marches could be heard. Then it seemed as if the children's beds were being scratched with iron claws. The spirit would pick up the children and chase them from room to room, leaving everyone else alone. They were then sent to bed in the middle of the day in the attic, where no noise had yet been heard, but the spirit soon followed them there. On November 5, 1661, a terrible noise was heard. One of the servants in the children's room saw two floorboards start to move, and asked for one of them, upon which the board began moving toward him, coming to within a yard of him with no one seeing anyone carrying it. He then shouted, Place it in my hand, upon which it came closer, then advanced and retreated, in a similar fashion, twenty times until Mr. Mompasson forbid him such familiarities. This happened in the middle of the day, in a room full of people. A very strong odor of sulfur was also smelled at this time. Toward evening, the minister, Mr. Cragg, and some of the neighbors came to the house to pray at their bedsides with them in the middle of this racket. While the prayers lasted, the noise retreated into the attic, but once over, it returned to the bedroom. Then all the chairs started dancing around, the children's shoes were cast over their heads, and everything loose in the room began moving around the room. A bed beam was thrown at the minister, striking him in the leg, but so gently that it might have been a ball of wool. Mompasson, seeing that the spirit was primarily persecuting the children, sent them to a neighbor's house, with the exception of his eldest daughter, aged ten, who he had sleep in his own room, where it had not been the month before. But once they went to bed, the noise began again, continuing this way for three weeks. It was noted that the spirit responded exactly by beating the drum to any questions asked of it. Because many strangers were lodging in the house to which he had sent his other children, their father summoned them home and set up their beds in the parlor, which had not been disturbed until then. But the spirit followed them here too, but was content this time to only tug at their hair and night clothes. It was noted that when the noise was loudest, no dog would move around the house. Although it was often so violent that it could be heard in the fields a great distance away and awaken the neighbors, although no other dwelling was nearby. The servants were often lifted up with their beds and gently set back down without incurring any hurt. They sometimes also felt a great weight upon their feet. Toward the end of December 1661, the noise of the drum became rarer, but a noise as of someone counting money could now be heard in its stead, which was attributed to something that Mompasson's mother had said. The old woman, speaking to the neighbors about fairies and their habit of leaving gold behind them, 
had added that it would be just if they did the same for them as compensation for all the troubles they had caused. Following this, the noise became less intense, and the spirit contented itself with only a few harmless pranks. A little before dawn on Christmas Day, one of the younger boys on getting up from bed was struck on the heel with a door latch, whose fastening pin was so tiny it proved difficult to pull it out. The night after Christmas, Mr. Mompasson's clothing was thrown about his room, and the Bible was hid in the ashes. Later, it was the turn for one of Mompasson's servants, a vigorous and intelligent man named John, to be fiercely tor tormented by the spirit. Several nights in a row, something tried to strip the covers off his bed while he was sleeping, and would half succeed despite how strongly the man held on to them. His shoes would be thrown at his head, and sometimes he felt as if he were bound hand and foot. He had found, however, that when he drew his sword and slashed the air around him, the invisible being clinging to him would, would tend to leave. A short time later, the son of Thomas Bennett visited the house and told Mompasson some things said by the drummer mentioned earlier, who had been a laborer for his father. It appeared that this made the spirit quite unhappy, for hardly had they gone to bed when the drums began beating, causing the visitor to get up and rouse a servant who was sharing John's bedroom. As soon as John found himself alone in his room, he heard a noise there and saw something coming toward them that appeared to be clad in silk. He drew his sword but felt a force holding it back. He had to make an effort to master it, and the ghost then left. He had already observed that it was scared of weapons. About the beginning of January 1662, they started hearing something that sang in the chimney and then came down it. It was also remarked that on one night, lights were seen in the house. One of them entered the room in which Mompasson slept. The flame seemed blue and glimmering and caused those who saw it to stare at it unwaveringly. Afterwards, someone was heard climbing the stairs barefoot. The light appeared four or five times in the children's bedroom, and the servants swore that the door to it was opened and closed at least ten times before their very eyes, and that each time it seemed five or six men entered, walked around the room, and that one among them rustled as if in silk. During the time the spirit was knocking loudly and the presence of a large number of people, one of those yelled out, Satan, if the one who drums is serving you, knock thrice and no more. The three knocks came and nothing more was heard. The men then knocked to see if it would respond as usual, but the spirit kept its silence. For further confirmation, he asked the spirit to knock five times if it were the drummer, and then keep silent the rest of the night. This is just what happened. This occurred in the presence of Thomas Chamberlain, the Earl of Oxford, and other witnesses. On the morning of Saturday, January 10th, one hour before daylight, a drum was heard before the door of Mompasson's bedroom. The noise then traveled to the other end of the house, in front of the door of the room in which some strangers were sleeping. Four or five military marches were played, after which the noise vanished. One night, when the village smith was lying with the servant John, they heard a noise in the room, as if someone had been shoeing a horse. Then it seemed as if someone were trying to snip at the smith's nose with a pair of pinchers for the better part of the night. One morning, Mompasson heard a great noise in the room below him, 
where the children slept. Running down with his pistol drawn, he heard a voice shouting, A witch! A witch! Then all became quiet. One night, the spirit, after haunting Mampasan's bed, went on to that of his daughter. It went beneath her, passing from side to side, lifting her up each time, and three different noises could be heard coming from the bed. Attempts were made to stab it with a sword, but it avoided the thrust by hiding under the child. The following night, it arrived panting like a dog out of breath. Someone tried to strike it with a bedrod, but this was torn from their hands and thrown to the ground. Several people arrived in the room, and the room filled with a very unpleasant aroma of flowers, and quite hot, although it was not heated, and this was the middle of winter. The spirit continued panning and scratching for an hour, then went into the adjoining room, where it knocked a little, and something that sounded like the rattling of a chain could be heard. This happened two or three nights in a row. Soon after this, Mrs. Mompasson's Bible was found in the ashes, opened, with its pages down, to the third chapter of St. Mark, where mention is made of unclean spirits prostrating themselves before the Savior, and of the power he gave to the apostles to cast out demons. The following night, ashes were spread about the room, and early that morning they found the imprint of a large claw in one place, and a smaller one in another, and in a third place, some letters meaning nothing, and in which nothing could be seen but inexplicable scratches. During this time, it was the children the spirit attacked, and he began his assault the moment they went to bed. The day of Glanville's arrival, the thing began as usual around eight o'clock, and the maid went downstairs immediately to let him know. Accompanied by his friend Hill, who would come with him, and Mompasson, he went up to the room. While they were still on the staircase, they heard a strange scratching, and upon entering the room, Glanville saw that the noise was coming from behind the children's pillows and opposite the pillowcase. It sounded like a man scratching with his nails. There were two little girls between seven and eight years old in the bed who were quite calm. The hands were atop the covers, and the scratching coming out from behind their heads could not have been their doing. They were quite accustomed to this kind of thing and did not seem very scared. Moreover, they always had someone near them. Standing at the bed's head, said Glanville, I thrust my hand behind the bolster, directing it to the place where the noise seemed to come, whereupon the noise ceased there and was heard in another part of the bed. But when I had taken out my hand, it returned and was in the same place as before. I had been told it would imitate noises and made trial by scratching several times upon the sheet, as five and seven and ten, which it followed and stopped at my number. I scratched under, I searched under and behind the bed, turned up the clothes to the bed cords, grasped the bonner, sounded the wall behind, and made all the search that possibly I could find, if there were any trick, contrivance, or common cause of it. The like did my friend, but we could discover nothing. So that I was then verily persuaded, and am so still, that the noise was made by some demon or spirit. After it had scratched about half an hour or more, it went into the midst of the bed under the children, and there seemed to pant like a dog out of breath very loudly. I put my hand upon the place and felt the bed bearing up against it, as if something within had thrust it up. 
I grasped the feathers to see if any living thing were in it. I looked under and everywhere about to see if there were any dog or cat or any such creature in the room, and so we all did, but found nothing. The motion it caused by this panning was so strong that it shook the, the room and windows very sensibly. It continued thus more than half an hour, while my friend and I stayed in the room, and as long after as we were told. During the panning, I chanced to see something, I chanced to see as it had been something, which I thought was a rat or a mouse, moving in a linen bag that hung up against another bed that was in the room. I swept and caught it by the upper end with one hand, with which I held it, and drew it through the other, but found nothing at all. There was nobody near to shake the bag, or if there had, no one could have made such a motion, which seemed to come from within, as if a living creature had moved in it. Never during this time did Glanville feel one moment of fear. As he was sleeping with his friend in a room during the night, he was woken shortly before daybreak by someone knocking loudly at the door, and he awoke his companion. He asked the spirit several questions, but it continued knocking without responding. In the name of God, who is it? Glanville asked. And what would you have? Nothing with you, a voice answered. Both thought it was one of the servants of the house and went back to sleep. But when they recounted the incident to the head of the household that morning, he told them that no family members slept there or had any business there, and that his servants only came when summoned, something he never did before that day. His servants confirmed what he said, swearing that they were not responsible for making this noise. That same morning, Glanville's servant told him, One of my horses, that on which I rode, was all in a sweat and looked as if he had been rid all night. They went out to the stables and found the horse in the condition described. They were assured that this horse, who had always been in sound condition, had been fed and well treated by the stable hand. But after Glanville rode the horse later for a mile or two on the plain away from Mompasson's house, the horse fell lame, and after making a strong effort to return his master home, fell ill with no one able to determine the nature of the ailment. One day, Mompasson, seeing some pieces of wood moving in the fireplace, fired his pistol at them, after which several drops of blood were found on the hearth and on the stairs. Calm was restored to the house for two or three days, but the spirit then returned and began vexing a small child with such persistence it could not sleep peacefully for two nights in a row. The spirit would not suffer any light in the child's room, but would carry them up the chimney or cast them beneath the bed. The poor child was so scared it took hours to recover, and they were a second time forced to send him with his siblings out of the house. Toward midnight the following evening, the spirit climbed the stairs, knocked at Mompasson's door, then sought his servant and appeared at the foot of his bed. He could not clearly make out its shape, but he thought he saw a large figure with two glaring red eyes that stared fixedly at him before slowly disappearing. On another night, when several strangers were present, the spirit began purring like a cat in the children's bed. At the same time, the covers and the children themselves were lifted up with such force six men were not able to hold them down. The children are removed in order to take the spirit up, to take apart the bed, 
but they were barely placed in another bed before it was shaken with more intensity than the first. This lasted four hours. The children's legs were pushed so forcefully against the bedpost that they were forced to get up and remain standing all night. The spirit began emptying chamber pots in the beds at night and strewing them with ashes. He placed a long iron pike in Mr. Mompasson's bed and left a knife with its cutting edge out in the bed of his mother. He filled the dishes with ashes, threw everything all about, and made a noise all day without interruption. At the beginning of April 1663, a visitor staying at the house had all the money in his pockets turned black. One morning, Mompasson found his horse in the stable, stretched out on the ground with one of its back legs stuffed so deeply in its mouth that several men had, di had much difficulty removing it with a lever. Many other remarkable things also occurred. And that's the end of this episode. If you have a question, a comment, or if you know a lesser-known story that you'd like to see covered, leave a comment on the podcast page, post it to our Facebook page at Forgotten Darkness Podcast, or send it to our email at ForgottenDarkness77, lowercase f, lowercase d, all one word, at gmail.com. We're also now on Twitter at Forgotten Darkness Podcast. And so... Until next episode, this is Andrew, signing off.